Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunja Bihari Sopi Janavallava Girivara Kari Yashodanandana Raja Janaranjana Jamunathira Jaya Prabhupada, 
Swarupada, Swarupada, Jaya Swarupada. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories, all glories, all glories to Shishi Guru Gauranga. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskrutya Narangchaiva Narottamam Devim Saraswati Vyasam Tato Jayam Udirayet Nashta Prayesh Vapadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavat Yuttama Shroke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtaki Asadhu Sadhu Tadayin Natinicho Chatakara Hana Munchikadachi and Mamprayamanatit Kantayospura Hare Krishna Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 4 Chapter 8 Entitled Dhruva Maharaj Leaves home for the forest. We're on text 33. Narada Muni is speaking to Dhruva Maharaj and he's continuing to test his disciple. Yasya yadaiva vihitam satena sokadokkayohu Atmanam to Shandehi Thomas of Padam Ruchati. Would anybody like to chant? Uh, I want to chant. Yasya Jadaiva Bihitam Satena Sukha Du Kayoho Atmanam Toshayan Dehi. Tamasaparam Richati. Yasya ya daiva vihitam Satena sukadukayo Atmanam toshayam dehi Tamasaparam Richati. Anybody else? Okay, word for word. Yes, yeah. Anyone? Yes, yeah. Anyone? Anyone? Yet? Yet? That which? That which? Daiva? Daiva? By destiny? By destiny? Vihitam? Vihitam? 
destined. Destined. Saha. Saha. Such a person. Such a person. Tena. Tena. By that. By that. Sukadukayoho. Sukadukayoho. Happiness or distress. Happiness or distress. Atmanam. Atmanam. One's self. One's self. Toshayan. Toshayan. Being satisfied. Being satisfied. Dehi. Dehi. An embodied soul. An embodied soul. Tamasaha. Tamasaha. Of the darkness. Of the darkness. Param. Param. To the other side. To the other side. Richati. Richati. Crosses. Crosses. Srila Prabhupada's translation and Srila Prabhupada's purport, Kijai. Srila Prabhupada, Kijai. Translation. One should try to keep himself satisfied in any condition of life, whether distress or happiness, which is offered by the Supreme Will. A person who endures in this way is able to cross over the darkness of nations very easily. Would you like to repeat? Yes, please. One should try to keep himself satisfied. One should try to keep himself satisfied. In any condition of life. In any condition of life. Whether distress or happiness. Whether distress or happiness. Which is offered by the Supreme Will. Which is offered by the Supreme Will. Person who endures in this way. A person who endures in this way is able to cross over. Is able to cross over the darkness of nations. The darkness of nations. Very easily. Very easily. Shri Prabhupada's purport. Material existence consists of pious and impious fruit of activities. As long as one is engaged in any kind of activity other than devotional service, it will result in the happiness and distress of this material world. When we enjoy life in so-called material happiness, it is to be understood that we are diminishing the resultant actions of our pious activities. And when we are put into suffering, it is to be understood that we are diminishing the resultant actions of our impious activities. Instead of being attached to the circumstantial happiness and distress resulting from pious or impious activities, if we want to get out of the, of the clutches of this nations, then whatever position we are put in, by the will of the Lord, we should accept. Thus, if we simply surrender unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead, we shall get out of the clutches of this material existence. Jai, Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. Om Jnana Timinanta Syak Jnana Anjana Shalakaya 
Chakshudan Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Ratha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakhan Vitangscha Namam Vishnu Padaya Krishna Preshkai Putale Shri Mate Paktivedanta Svaman Nitinamine Namaste Sadisvate Deve Gauravani Pracharane Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Pascha Tideshatane Vanchakal Patrupyascha Kripas and Tupi Evacha Patitanam Pavane Pyu Vaishnave Pyu Namo Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadatara Shri Vasadi Gaura Pakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare I first offer my respectful obeisances unto all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord we're just like desire trees. You can fulfill the desires of everyone and you're full of compassion on fallen souls, such as myself. By your mercy, we will speak and hear about this wonderful verse from the Bhagavatam. Hare Krishna. So we're hearing Narada Muni preaching the principle of satisfaction. Toshan, satisfaction, or otherwise known as tushti or tushta. This is a word that's found in many verses in our Shastra. It's a principle that's very relevant for us. <clears throat> it's a principle of the mode of goodness. It is also a symptom of one who is transcendental to the modes. So actually, satisfaction is uh, found and experienced both within the modes of nature and outside the modes of nature. And here, Narada Muni is advising Dhruva Maharaj essentially to practice what's called Nishkama Karma Yoga, which means uh, to connect to the Lord, yoga, through one's activities, karma, but in a detached way with satisfaction, no matter what happens. This is understood to be a building block towards pure devotional service. And it's a more gradual process than immediately practicing direct devotional service to Krishna and doing exactly what he wants for his pleasure and nothing else. And uh, Narada Muni is doing this to assess, as Srila Prabhupada indicated in the previous purports, the qualification of his disciple. He wants to see how serious is Drew Maharaj. Prabhupada said in the previous purport that actually the direct order is that from any point of life, one should begin rendering devotional service. But it is the duty of the spiritual master to test the disciple to see how seriously he desires to execute devotional service, then he may be initiated. So we're talking about initiation, we're talking about seriousness and progression. Narada Muni is going to give a mantra, he's going to initiate Dhruva Maharaj, he's going to give him shelter, he's going to give him instructions. 
These are things that not everybody receives. And the, the essential qualification for them is that one wants them. The ninth offense against the holy name is to preach the glories of the holy name to the faithless. Sometimes devotees ask, well, what does this mean? Because we're going on to 16th Street and we're chanting Hare Krishna to people who absolutely have mixed considerations of how they feel about our chanting. Some of them, some of them will like what we're doing and will manifest their faith in the process. Some of them aren't really sure how they feel about it. And you can tell by looking at them, they're kind of confused. Like, what exactly is going on here? Did somebody's sports team just win? Why are people singing in public and chanting and dancing? I've never seen this outside of, you know, a few years ago when the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl. But part of them is also attracted. And some people flat out do not want to have anything to do with it. It is not an offense against the holy name to present Krishna consciousness to them in this way and in the ways that we do. In the early days of the movement, Harinam was punctuated by a few minutes of Sambantagyan, which uh, Bhakti Thakur indicates in his Harinam Shantamani, is actually necessary for persons to come to the stage of chanting free from offenses. That is, a devotee would, after the kirtan would break for a few minutes, he would take a microphone and speak to, to the uh, assembled, uh, hopefully future Vaishnavas, the assembled citizens of the city, and explain what we're doing as devotees, why we're doing it. Well, these are names of the Lord, just like Srila Prabhupada explains, like a child crying out for her mother. We're calling out to the Lord. This is a very, very simple, non-sectarian, free, portable, essential process. You can all engage in it. We'll teach the Mahamantra. And they give a little bit of Sambandha, that we're all servants of the Lord. We're not God. There is a God and we're not him. We're calling out these names. So that's source of pleasure and attraction. Simple like that, two minutes, one minute even. And that also is not preaching to the faithless. It's not an offense. It's service to the name, actually. It's not an offense to the name to speak in this way. Our acharyas have indicated in commenting on the verse around the offenses to the holy name, from the, I believe Padma Purana, that the ninth offense specifically refers to giving initiation, accepting disciples who are not qualified. This Harinam Sankirtan movement of Lord Chaitanya has two manifestations. In the first broader manifestation, it is a non-sectarian, completely universal process for literally every single living entity on the planet. Even non-humans can participate by hearing. And they can also receive prashadam from devotees. Prashadam is an essential part of this process. As uh, Nandasuna Prabhu likes to put it, it is Srila Prabhupada's secret weapon. And Insects can receive that. <clears throat> Little bacteria in the atmosphere around us can hear us saying Krishna, Krishna and benefit. They're participating in Mahaprabhu's larger circle of the non-sectarian Harinam Sankirtan movement. It's for Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists, demons, dogs, and everyone else. There is another aspect of Mahaprabhu's movement, which is the internal circle of accepted disciples, ones who have actually accepted initiation into the Guru Parampara, of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. They've accepted Mahaprabhu as Krishna himself. They've accepted a Vaishnava spiritual master. They've received the Hare Krishna mantra from that spiritual master and have received name, uh, orders of how to chant, certain amount of day at least. They're trying actively to become free from the offenses to the holy name. 
They are avoiding illicit activities. And for those persons, they have more responsibility. They also have more privilege. But that position is not given or accepted whimsically. That's what the ninth offense means. Don't just, as the Bible says, you should not cast pearls before swine. Don't give everything away right away to somebody who's not qualified because they're just going to hurt themselves and others. It's an offense to the holy name because it's directly Radha Krishna. We give Radha Krishna in the form of the name to everybody, but we don't initiate them on the spot. Other than some very special pastimes of Gora Bhakta Vrinda, this, this, this does happen. Um, but in general, we wait to see what, if, the, if the person is qualified. And they usually have to be a human being to, to be that. Again, there are very rare exceptions to that in our pastimes, which I'm not going to touch on, but are sweet. Uh, so Narada Muni is doing that here because he's giving a gradual process. He's saying essentially, look, I understand you have this desire. I understand you have this nature that's given rise to this desire. Bhagavad Gita says, There are four kinds of pious persons that come to me, says Krishna. Oh, best of the parts, four kinds. One who's suffering, one who wants material advancement, one who is inquisitive, and one who actually wants to know the absolute truth. So, does anybody know of, of these categories which one Dhruva Maharaj fits into? Can you tell us which of these motivations? Does he have? He's in distress. He's in distress. Yep. And you could also make a case that he wants uh, material advancement. We see that, uh, I think, a little later when he speaks that he he wants a kingdom bigger than his grandfather's kingdom. He's as uh, Chaitanya Charanprabhu pointed out. The um, the scorn of our enemies is less painful than the indifference of our allies. His stepmother has all kinds of motivations. She's a politically oriented person. She's playing all kinds of games in the palace. She wants to be the top wife. She actually is. She wants to keep that position. So she uh, speaks harshly to her, her stepson. But what really hurt was that his father didn't do anything about that. He just stood there because he was actually involved. He was emotionally attached. He couldn't speak against the injustice that was happening because he didn't want to contradict his wife because that's a difficult situation when you're emotionally attached to a specific outcome. He liked that wife more than the other, so he couldn't speak the plain truth. There's a verse in the Chaitanya Chaitamrita where Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami says, if I become involved in the likes and dislikes of everyone else, I cannot speak the truth plainly. So uh, Uttanapad couldn't speak the truth plainly, and that really stung. So he's in distress. But related to that, he wants a kingdom better, bigger than his father. As the old saying goes, never underestimate the power of, I'll show them. Dhruva Maharaj is very angry and very, very motivated to show his father up. He wants to relieve his distress and he wants to actually have a kingdom greater than his own grandfather had, Brahma. In essence, he wants to have something better, better than the material universe. That is a big desire. So big that Narada Muni exclaims upon seeing him, wow. These kshatriyas are really something else. 
And now he's trying to test him that, okay, you have this desire. Anyway, it's material. Look, you were dissatisfied. You had your desires thwarted. You had your pride stung. Look, it happens. You know, that's life. You should just be satisfied because if you practice this process of just being patient and gradually elevating yourself, you'll get what you want. It'll take some time, but look, everybody in the world is suffering. And the kind of thing you're trying to do that your mother advised you to do, go, going to Krishna, going to Vishnu, he's testing me saying, oh, don't, don't do that. That's so, that's so intense. Go to the forest. You're a boy, you're five years old. You're not even gonna like eat properly for some time. Like go back to the palace, get a hug from your mom. We'll make you your special meal that you like. You know, we've got, you know, your special DVD lined up. We can watch your little movie that you like to do. He's a boy for goodness sake. He's testing him. But Drew Maharaj, this is why he's in the Bhagavatam. He was not interested in that. For some reason or another, he actually bypassed all of that. And when his mother said, go to the forest and worship the Lord, he said, yes, I'll do it. And I mean it. I really, really mean it. And that determination is why when Mahaprabhu heard this section, which he heard so many times, it was one of his favorite sections, he would cry. What business does Mahaprabhu have hearing about somebody getting over their own desire to have a huge kingdom? He is Krishna in the mood of Radharani. He's experiencing the deepest emotions. He's actually relishing this intense determination for devotional service that Dhruva Maharaj has. That is why he's in this Guinness Book of Universal Records of the greatest of all devotional experiences. He's not just a boy who was insulted. He's not just somebody who was dealing with a wicked stepmother. We can go to Cinderella for that. He's somebody who is so intensely focused on Krishna that hearing about him actually elevates us. So Narada Muni is testing him. Look, we'll do the gradual thing. You don't have to do this. You can go back and be comfortable. This is gonna be very uncomfortable, what you're talking about, this, this direct process, very intense austerities. Let's do it the easy way. So he's talking about Nishkam Karma Yoga, says Jiva Goswami. There's a path to elevation in yoga. And that path is given in the 11th canto, along with, as far as I can tell, everything else in existence. It's all in this mysterious 11th canto that contains everything. I'm always referring to the 11th canto. 11, 20, text 6 through 9. So Krishna said to Uddhava, because I desire that human beings may achieve perfection, I presented three paths of advancement. Path of knowledge, a path of work, and a path of devotion. Gyan yoga, but, uh, I'm sorry, karma yoga, gyan yoga, and bhakti yoga. He says, besides these three, there is absolutely no other means of elevation. That's all there is, just these three things. Among these three paths, Gyan Yoga, the path of philosophical speculation, is for those, is recommended for those who are disgusted with material life and are detached from ordinary fruitive activities. Those who are not disgusted with material life, having many desires yet to fulfill, should seek perfection through the path of karma yoga. That's what Narada Muni said. He said, look, you're a prince. You're going to be a king one day, or at least a prince. You're going to have so many wives. You're going to have all these things. You're going to have a chance to play out your desires on the battlefield, uh, on the throne, in the bedroom, anywhere you want as a dharmically ordained prince or king. You can do that. Don't do this whole approaching Krishna thing directly. It's too much. Do the Nishkam Karma Yoga. Be situated in material happiness, material satisfaction. Now, Krishna goes on in this section of uh, 11th Canto. He says, if somehow or other, by good fortune, 
one develops faith in hearing and chanting my glories. Such a person being neither disgusted with nor very much attached to material life should achieve perfection through the path of loving devotion to me. If you're not so detached from material life that you still have some desires, but you're not so attached that you don't see that there's a problem in these desires and somehow or other you develop some faith in this process of Shravanam Kirtanam, then you're very fortunate. You can practice bhakti, which as we know is the best way to go. Narada Muni, he's not a karma yogi. He's not preaching karma yoga. Srila Prabhupada is not preaching karma yoga. He's preaching pure devotional service, but he understands all these acharyas understand that depending on where one is, they may slot in at different places. So without attachment as a guru, he's saying, okay, where's this person at? I've been sent here to do the service by the super soul. That's how Narada Muni knows that Dhruva Maharaj, he wants a guru. But how much is he willing and ready to hear? He's being tested. So he had a purpose to fulfill. Narada's testing him. He wants to see how quickly he can make advancement, how quickly he wants to make advancement. That quickness or gradualness depends on the degree to which we are attached to this process that Krishna says in the 11th canto, who develops faith in hearing and chanting my glories. The faith that we have in hearing and chanting about Krishna, that's the essential function of bhakti. It's not doing things specifically. It's not transcendental knowledge exactly. Those are subservient. Those are functions of karma and gyan. They're used in bhakti. We use our bodies, we do stuff. We have transcendental knowledge better than any jnani, really. But the essential function is faith in Shravanam Kirtanam. And that essential function is also the essential index of our seriousness and therefore our own speed of advancement. So Dhruva Maharaj, as we'll see, is very determined to go and just chant mantras about Krishna and hear about Krishna, take all of his problems, out of the palace, away from his mom, away from his princedom, away from his whole life, away from everything he ever knew, and just take him and give him to Krishna and say, whatever it is that I want, I'm coming to you, and I'm focused completely on you. And that's why he, in, in a very short span of time, achieves the darshan of Krishna. So we're going to talk, after having reviewed this principle of what Nishkam Karma Yoga is, the gradual process, and hopefully a little bit about pure devotional service, we're going to talk about some of the obstacles that we have as practitioners to pure devotional service. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that for most people practicing Krishna consciousness on the planet, they still have material desires at any given time, even in their practice. They're still practicing some measure of mixed devotional service. I can say honestly that I'm practicing mixed devotional service. Am I practicing devotional service? Yes. I'm chanting about, Hare, about Krishna, I'm chanting Hare Krishna, I'm hearing. The other angas of bhakti are there. I have some faith in the hearing and chanting process. As we said, that's the index. That's the essence of bhakti. And at the same time, I have material desires to fulfill personally. But that doesn't disqualify me from practicing devotional service in this line. And it doesn't disqualify me from the, the end goal. There are other things, however, that are to be avoided that can really get in the way of our coming to pure Krishna consciousness. And some of those are mentioned here uh, in the purport. I've also mentioned some already. I'm going to summarize them now for our sake as devotees who are practicing devotional service. And if you're not practicing pure devotional service, you're in the majority, but you want to be practicing pure devotional service. If you don't want to be practicing pure devotional service, you don't have to listen. 
you can do whatever you like. Um, but I feel sorry for you because you're missing out. And the obstacles include one, envying the principle of pure devotional service. In the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 3, text 31, one of my favorite purports of all time, Srila Prabhupada talks about how, well, first Krishna says to Arjuna, those persons who execute their duties according to my injunctions, i.e., those persons who do what I tell them to do and who follow what I tell them to do faithfully without envy become free from the bondage of fruitive actions. Now, Prabhupada says in the purport, this truth of Krishna consciousness is also eternal. We should have firm faith in this instruction without envying the Lord. An ordinary person with firm faith in the internal instructions of the Lord, even though unable to execute such orders, becomes liberated. In the beginning of Krishna consciousness, one may not fully discharge the injunctions of the Lord. But because one is not resentful of this principle and works sincerely without consideration of defeat and hopelessness, he will surely be promoted to the stage of pure Krishna consciousness. So one of the obstacles to being promoted to the stage of pure Krishna consciousness is to mentally disqualify yourself from it. To say, in essence, I'll never be able to do that. Or even worse, no one can do that. I remember hearing about the regulative principles as a devotee, <laughs> a new devotee, that in this movement, our standard that we come to is following these principles, no meat, fish, eggs, no onions, garlic. We offer all our food to Krishna. We don't gamble. We don't take any intoxication of any kind. Even married persons engage in sexual activity only for pro procreative purposes, just to beget a child at the highest level of consciousness. This is what everyone is working toward. This is the pure standard. I heard that and I literally thought that is impossible for somebody to do all of these things. That's artificial is what I thought. I didn't have any example of that in my life. I couldn't really be blamed for that. But to my credit, to the credit of the devotees around me, I was able to become inspired to not become resentful of that principle. That you can come to this platform of freedom from all these other things and absolute dedication. And because of that, I made advancement. If I had continued to stubbornly hold on to the idea that, no, I know how reality works. And it doesn't include a reality where people are actually functioning in these ways, free from all these things. That's artificial. No one can do that. If I continue to hold on to that, as long as I held on to that, I would have been disqualified from practicing that and from advancing in practicing that because it's an anatta. It's a resentment of Krishna's principle. The reality is that we don't know what we're capable of and how grand, really, pure devotional service is. And so part of our devotional practice is to become mentally detached from resenting or envying the principles, even if we can't follow them, whatever they may be. We may be at the stage of chanting four rounds a day, one round a day, one mantra a day. But if we accept the principle that, no, I can definitely come to the stage of pure devotional service. Anybody can. It takes time. There's some obstacles right now, but this is a universal process. And I'm going to dedicate myself to it wherever I'm at. My 30 seconds of japa today, that's what I've got to give Krishna. But I'm not resenting that I can advance. And when I'm ready to, I'm ready to hear instruction that you can chant a minute now, whatever it may be. Or maybe we're chanting 16 rounds a day and, you know, we're ready for the next step. That being ready is, is a principle and not closing the door ourselves on Krishna's mercy. Another obstacle is losing the association of devotees itself. 
So Bhakti Nod Thakur says, I don't really care actually where I take birth. You know, the thing that these pious karmis are so worried about in Vedic culture, like I don't want to take birth as an animal. I don't want to lose this human body. I don't want to like go to hell. He doesn't care. Mahabharu doesn't care about going to hell. Thakur Bhakti Nod doesn't care about going to hell. He doesn't care about heavenly planets either. He doesn't care about a human body. He doesn't care about a nice wife or children or, or enough food to eat. He doesn't care about any of that. He says, I could be a dog. That's fine. Just let me be a dog in a house of devotees because if I have that, they'll give me everything else I need. This is firm faith in devotees, which is very, very pleasing to Krishna. And very practically, we can see in our life that devotees are our lifeblood. We get everything else from them. We get the name from them. We get the taste to chant the name. We get prasadam. We get all the other angas of bhakti. We couldn't come and worship the deities if there weren't pujaris. The pujaris couldn't do their service if someone wasn't getting boga. The person running boga couldn't do their service if the treasurer wasn't getting donations. Everyone is dependent on everyone else. That's reality. We're dependent on devotees. And if we see that and embrace it, we're fortunate. And if we don't, we're unfortunate. Another obstacle is neglecting the fundamentals of a practice. For example, I, or in other words, neglecting the orders of the spiritual master. So Narada Muni is going to give in very short order a mantra to Dhruva Maharaj. He's going to do this having seen that Dhruva Maharaj is qualified. Now, our spiritual masters, I'm speaking on behalf of initiated devotees, have seen that we are qualified. We actually have what it takes to chant Hare Krishna. 16 rounds a day minimum, free from the offenses, with the regular principles and whatever other instructions we've received from them. They've seen that. They've seen that we can do it. Even if we haven't seen it completely, they've seen it to a better degree than we have. And because of our faith in them and because of our firm, well-reasoned faith in the process, we've taken initiation. Or if you're hearing this and you're not initiated, then we have internally accepted some degree of practice and that internal acceptance is a real thing. That's our, that's the substance of our relationship with Srila Prabhupada or other devotees and Krishna and his names is that faith in these practices. And if we neglect these practices to the degree that we neglect these practices and the instructions we received, formal or informal, they can be formal instructions in front of the fire in front of the deity, or they can be informal advice from the devotees. Obviously the formal is more serious, but to the degree that we actually neglect these things, to that degree, we slow ourselves down from advancing. And to the degree that we take these things seriously, no matter what happens, then to that degree, we attract the mercy of Krishna, which is the only thing that's going to take us to pure devotional service. We actually can't practice pure devotional service under our own power. I'm sure everybody who's tried to practice devotional service, hearing this has recognized this is true. I can't do it on my own. It's actually an empowered activity. You can't chant 16 rounds a day, free from offenses. You can't even chant one mantra without empowerment. It's coming from Krishna one way or another. And getting that mercy from him is necessary. So being in touch with the orders of the spiritual master, being in touch with the instructions coming, that attracts the mercy. And the final thing that I'd like to point out is that we have to be in touch with the transcendental sound vibration of Krishna Kata. We hear that in the 11th canto. Now, I said earlier, Krishna says, one who by good fortune develops faith in hearing and chanting my glories, being not too attached, not too detached, that person practices bhakti. 
In the final verse of that section, 1120, verse 9, he says, As long as one is not satisfied by fruit of activity, as long as one still has things to be satisfied by fruit of activity, and has not awakened his taste for devotional service by shravanam kirtanam, by hearing and chanting. In other words, as long as one has not come to the stage of being so attracted to hearing and chanting about Krishna that they're willing to put aside their material desires, for that long, they have to act according to the regulative principles of the Vedic injunctions. Because they're still in the modes of nature, they have to act on some level in terms of karma yoga. Even if they're chanting Hare Krishna, they still have some mixture. So this chanting of Hare Krishna, this hearing of Krishna kata, mat kata, he says in the verse, hearing about my activities, hearing things about me, of discourses about me. That's what Makata means, discourses about me. As long as the pure faith in that is not awakened, we still have some work to do to get free from the modes of nature. And we still have some connections with the modes of nature to be dealt with appropriately, depending on our position, Varnashram, our age, our instructions by Guru, our modes of nature. But that principle of Krishna Kata is essential. And if we disconnect ourselves with that, especially through chanting of Hare Krishna and through hearing about pure devotional service, we lose our connection to advance. We need to hear about pure devotional service. That's why we're reading this section. That's why Mahaprabhu read it. Actually, he didn't need to hear about it like we do. He wanted to. And he needed on a level that someone who's experiencing devotional greed needs to hear about Krishna. We need to hear so we can get to that greed. We need to become convinced that we need what your Maharaj is going to get. Because we have material desires, most of us here in this class. And so did Dhruva. And therefore, he's our guru. He's really relevant for us. We want to do what he did in the way that's practical for us. Not actually going to the forest, but in the essential sense of going to God. And bypassing, having faith in our varna, having faith in our ashram, having faith that our wife or husband is going to satisfy us on the deepest level, our kids or money is going to satisfy us on the deepest level, our brahmachari ashram is going to satisfy us on the deepest level, knowing that only Krishna can do that. That faith comes from devotees, from the guru, and especially from hearing. We have to hear about those who have that faith. And we have to hear from those who have that faith. And if we disconnect ourselves from the hearing and chanting process, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. We're going to hear and chant about whoever won the Super Bowl yesterday. We're going to hear and chant about the new president. We're going to hear and chant about little Johnny's grades. And we're going to hear and chant about anything other than pure devotional service. Something is going to fill that void. It's a law of nature. And we're going to have faith in that to the exclusion of faith in pure devotional service. And we'll move in that direction. And that is sad. Because we can do all those other things as long as we're in touch with the guru and their instructions. As long as we're associating with devotees. As long as we're not resenting the principles of pure devotional service. And as long as we're hearing deliberately about pure devotees and chanting Hare Krishna. And if we do that, then... Even though we have some mixture in our practice, we're going towards pure devotional service and we're qualified to get there. So the, that's my class. We talked about how 
hearing and chanting is the lifeblood and one who has developed faith in that is a bhakti yogi and if they've developed absolute faith in that they're practicing pure devotional service we heard about how Drew Maharaj has material desires to fulfill and what that means for us who have material desires. We heard about the obstacles of resenting the principles of devotional service, of losing the association of devotees, of neglecting the fundamentals of our practice or neglecting the orders of our gurus, and of losing touch with the transcendental sound vibration of Hare Krishna and the vibration of hearing about pure devotional service. These things, if we can avoid them, if we can perform the positive form of all these things, we'll be okay. And despite our having some things to work through, as Dhruva Maharaj did, we'll, in short order, actually see the Lord face to face. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. We'll take comments, questions, and reflections. Thanks, Senator Fashion Book. I appreciate it. You were talking about Nishkama Karma Yoga. And remember wanting a kingdom greater than his grandfather. I remember you saying, wow, the, you know, the intensity of these touches. I was just wondering if you could just summarize again, or just in a, yes, kind of a summary form, just the differences between, you know, we hear Sakama Bhaktas, Nishkama Bhakta, Shura Bhakta. Um, and, you know, Nishkama Karma Yoga, and then there's Bhakti Yoga. So yeah, just that, you know, we hear the sixth canto with Virtusura and Indra, Sakama Bhakta, Nishkama Bhakta, and we, have, we hear Shura Bhakta. So just, just in short, if you could just give a little summary of just the development and you know, whether the, you know, the differences and just kind of the, um, the distinction between those three. Sure. So Karma Yoga means to... Karma yoga means to, to follow the injunctions of how to behave as a human being at the baseline level, Varnashram, Dharma, Vedic ritualistic activities traditionally. And for us, you know, like our occupations, our education, our being a parent or a child, depending on where we are in our life and so forth, doing these things. And within that, there are degrees of attachment to uh, our own interests and degrees of attachment to the highest interest. So Sakama Karma Yoga means to perform Karma Yoga. In other words, to uh, perform our duties in the world and have some desire to fulfill because of that. Sakama means with desire. And... Uh, Nishkama, karma yoga means without any personal motive. You're doing the right thing to do, so to speak. But within that, there's also a distinction. At one level, the lower level of Nishkama, karma yoga, you're doing your duty, you're faithful, you're honest, you're truthful, you keep your vows to your spouse, you're law-abiding, you respect your parents and elders, all these things that make a human being a human being and not just a two-legged animal. They're doing these things. Uh, first, because it's the right thing to do, and out of a sense of attachment to duty, devoid of any attachment to Krishna, that's in the mode of goodness. Uh, higher than that, devotional, nishkam, karma, actually yoga, is to do this, those things because God wants you to. Krishna is pleased by that, and you want to please him. 
And your motivation at Nishkama at this point is to please the Lord. But you're still attached to certain modes of activity. You're attached to doing things a certain way. You're attached to the modes of nature you've acquired, your body, your mind. You want to be giving this class. You want to be cooking that meal. You want to be doing that kind of work. That's your motivation uh, that's still selfish, but you're not attached to the fruits of the activity for yourself. You give the class, <clears throat> you want to give class, but you're thinking Krishna wants the people hear about him. And I'm giving this class and the results that come, the whatever, adulation, appreciation, anything that comes from that, I pass upward. Uh, I'm still attached to giving the class at this level because that's something I'm not completely over. I'm not so surrendered that I can just take out the garbage and be completely self-satisfied doing that for Krishna or whatever else I'm not qualified for according to my modes of nature. But higher than that is to be so satisfied in serving Krishna that you're actually blissful doing anything for him. And you're focused on any activity as a service to them, to Krishna rather, and you're no longer even attached to the, the mode of service. That's a higher form of liberation because we can see you're no longer actually bound by any conception that I am this body. You're really saying, I'm really not these things. I'm really just a servant of Krishna. And if Krishna says, jump, I say, how high? Because the whole time I'm thinking of him and I'm ecstatic in that. Uh, that's pure devotional practice. So it's a disengagement from the personal desire, first in terms of desiring the result of our activities, then from the desire to actually perform that form of activities, then from the desire even of performing that form of activities, and you just want to please Krishna as intensely as possible all the time. So it's a range, and the lower range of each lower level, of each, of each the higher range of each lower level kind of merges into the lower range of each next level. Hopefully that, that's helpful, Hare Krishna. Okay, more comments, questions, reflections. Well, Prabhu, in the one thing that stood out to me in the purport is when Prabhupada says, um, well, he's basically un explaining how to be satisfied because, you know, Narmuni is saying like one should really keep oneself in such a way to be satisfied. And Prabhupada explains further in order to do that, um, there's a certain amount of knowledge that can be helpful. And then Prabhupada's explaining that, you know, when we're suffering, we can understand that as diminishing, basically we're burning off karma. And when we're uh, experiencing happiness, we're also burning off karma. But Prabhupada's saying that we're diminishing our, our bad karma, we're diminishing our good karma. And yeah. so either way, so he's helping us understand either way. Um, and then also he's saying that we should, um, have a some level of acceptance so sometimes like we'll be going through an experience and maybe not even on a cognitive level but on a sort of unconscious level we'll be resisting what's happening or we'll even fight the reality of it like meaning like we'll just sort of be frustrated that this is happening and Prabhupada is saying that just accept the circumstances and see that whatever position we're, we're put in by the will of the Lord, we should accept. So just this 
mood of like, okay, I'm in this situation, I accept, what do I do now? So I like, I like how Prabhupada was sort of elaborating on Nardamuni's instructions and keeping oneself satisfied. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, devotees, as Krishna said in the 11th canto there, they're neither too attached to the material world nor too detached. If someone's really, really detached from the material world, um, they can't preach effectively through devotional practice. And uh, it's difficult, it's more difficult to engage them in devotional practice than it is a devotee, or, or, or rather someone who has material desires because there's less leverage. There, if, if someone is completely detached from doing anything, the process of chanting Hare Krishna would look like nonsense to them. The process of offering food, because you can't entice them with the, the prasadam, they won't see that it's attractive because they don't actually care to eat. If someone's too attached to the material world, they lack the transcendental knowledge to contextualize things. But devotees are neither too attached nor too detached. So this kind of practical knowledge you're seeing the purport that you mentioned is kind of a hallmark of our line. It's aimed at those who are still in the material world, but not so attached to it that they can't appreciate what Prabhupada's saying, that something happens and you realize, okay, I mean, after you process the emotions, you realize, okay, you know, you get, you get that to say philosophical, you know, and every intelligent, mature adult does this, actually, if you think about it. Uh, sometimes people think philosophy is irrelevant or being philosophical is irrelevant, but not really. Like if you get in a car accident, as soon as you get over like the pain and, you know, shock, you know, maybe you're like in the hospital, you broke your arm, your car is totaled, maybe you're like, you can't go to work, like you have to deal with these things. Maybe you like get a call your spouse and say like, this happened, someone's got to take care of the kids, I'm in this situation, I broke my arm. Then you start to think, at least I'm not dead, right? What is that? That's philosophy. Prabhupada's saying, at least you don't have that karma anymore. <laughs> That's philosophy. It's practical philosophy. Look, this happened. It had to happen. You're implicated in the material world. If you accept some responsibility, then you don't have to be burdened with that suffering condition of being um, like super attached to why did this have to happen and resisting that. And being philosophical means, okay, I'm all right with this to some degree. That's adult, that's mature. And devotees do that. They have this practical knowledge um, to a greater degree than the person who has to deal with the car accident saying, well, at least I'm not dead. We actually understand what we are, what the body is, what the car is, Krishna, everything, all this tattva, all this again. And therefore um, we're really well equipped actually to have appropriate renunciation and to deal with others appropriately when they have their reversals and their, you know, giddy highs in the material world. Hey, you're here right now, but guess what? You have somewhere better to go. So let's get you from here to there. That's very practical. Devotees are noted for that practicality. They're neither too attached nor too detached, which is super useful for being in a preaching movement, actually. Thank you. Anything else? Very well, Prabhu. Thank you for that. Very nice. What you're just talking about reminded me of that quote that Donna Kriya posted from your Guru Maharaj. And if you realize that everything is happening for your purification, then uh, what, what is the quote? The one that Donna Kriya just posted on Facebook? Yeah, I think uh, if, you're, if you realize everything's happening for your purification, oh, geez. I, I guess I could open Facebook in the middle of class, but I don't know if it's yeah. qualified. <laughs> It says, if you understand that everything happens to me is for my purification, you'll never be disappointed. Never be disappointed. Yeah. 
And that's something yeah. I've been learning, you know, it's like, oh, okay, Krishna has his hand in this. Okay, wait, I'll accept, you know, it's like, I'm not so resistant to these, these crazy things happening in this material world. Right. Um, I was, uh, you, you got me reflecting on a couple things uh, that I'll go through. Um, on Harinam, I was just thinking of all the different personalities that you see. And we were talking about this Saturday um, about uh, how some, you know, like I, I like people that react, you know, to the holy names, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. I, I appreciate both. I, I'm always kind of sad for the people who have no reaction at all. You know, it's like they're so numb and they kind of tune everything out. But the people that are angry and that are confronting us or like, I don't know, just like over the top, I feel they're getting some kind of benefit. You know, I feel it's like tugging on their heartstrings, you know, and we just we just keep chanting. And uh, yeah, it's always it's always very special. And I always remember these things as well as the people who are very grateful for what we're doing. But I always think of the people who are just in between and have absolutely no, you know, ears or, you know, ears to hear it really. Um, yeah. And then, um, and then the Anartas, I remember like thinking like when I came to Krishna consciousness, I was like, wow, like know this, know that, you know, like, wow, this is impossible. I remember thinking that as well. And then uh, the more I put Krishna in, I, I, I feel more the naturally the Anartas go away. Um, and uh, that's what I was told probably a couple of years ago. It wasn't about what I was taking away, but it was what I was adding uh to my life and um i've added the holy names you know like daily and uh, you know i've just seen the taste for any of these things that i had so much taste for before diminishing and depleting naturally it wasn't like a forced thing it wasn't like oh i'm gonna quit this or quit that it was like it's it's useless it's pointless you know and i also see you know uh, we'll, we'll use a a current uh, anarta for myself uh you know being transparent on facebook live and everything but uh caffeine is something i still deal with and uh i remember uh thinking like man this is gonna be impossible but it's right now it's like okay i, I work overnight i take it occasionally and stuff but i don't have so much taste for it it's not an excuse anymore it's like oh you know like oh, I can drink caffeine because I'm doing this or doing that. It's more or less like, okay, this isn't impossible. You know, when I take my vows, it's good. It's, it's, it's done. You know, like I, you know, I'm working towards that and it's something to work towards and it makes things really ever fresh. You know, it's not, it's not dull. My spiritual practice, there's always something to work on. There's always something to improve. And uh, I no longer am making justifications for my anartas or excuses, you know, I rather see them as like, okay, you know, this is doable. I've overcame this, I've overcame this, you know? And then I, and like you said, the, the power of the people around you, your association, the people that are actually like practicing to the full extent of bhakti, you know, very inspiring and seeing that you're like, well, they could do it. You know, I, I, I certainly can give it a go. And then the more you, you work on it the more it seems doable you know and it's 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 a beautiful process so right yeah on that, that note also uh even if somebody's not practicing the pure devotional service completely if they're free from something that we're struggling with they can help us their association in that regard can be inspiring and also practically beneficial like i know a lot of devotees 
who have inspired me in very specific ways, who are also at the level of practice and are, are working toward things and have an arthas that they're getting over. But because of how they've been specifically empowered, they actually represent an example in a certain sphere of devotional practice and a certain sphere of level of renunciation or knowledge or uh, attachment to a certain practice. You know, we have our, our, our Japa gurus and our Pujari gurus and our, you know, sannyas gurus and we have our like Grihasta gurus and people who are doing things like really legit in a certain way and they just inspire us, uh, even if they're still working on other stuff and other aspects of their devotional character. And that's, um, that's really powerful. That's really powerful for sure. So I'm fresh, Prabhu wrote something in the chat. Okay. A reference. So he said, ah, Shri Bhagavad Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur revealed that Harikatha is the Swarup Shakti of Harinam. Just as Krishna is properly worshipped not alone, but with the Swarup Shakti, recitation of Harinam is incomplete and improper unless accompanied by hearing Harikatha, right? Which is another way of saying what Thakur Bhaktivinoda said in the Harinam Chintamani that you cannot get free from uh, chanting Hare Krishna at the level of offenses if you don't have some Bhantagyan. You have to hear about Krishna. And Harikatha, uh, not just hearing the Sambanta, Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada is saying here also hearing um, Kata means about Krishna. That's necessary side by side. That's excellent. Where is that reference from, by the way, Balgopal Prabhu? Thank you. Probably in the Bhaktisiddhanta by Bhava, if I had to guess. Okay. Yes, Bhaktisiddhanta by Bhava. Jai. Anything else, Mother Nidra, would you like to? Finish us off? Yeah, I think I lost the video. That's okay, we can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, Narda is explaining how, you know, we're happy and distressed and in happiness. And, and Dhruva is not satisfied with that. But Narda is talking about those who are satisfied with that. So, uh, when does the disciple like, you know, just not follow in Dhruva's footsteps, but just tell the spiritual master, no, I'm, I'm not satisfied with, uh, you're telling me this, that, but I'm not satisfied with that. I want to go for something more uh, or just become so-called satisfied with the guru's instructions. I mean, how do you make the distinction? Well, as far as I can tell, it's happening all the time. We're always being presented with the option to do more service, to surrender more to the name, to surrender more to the mission. Um, I mean, if we're actually hearing about pure devotional service and associating with devotees in this line, we're gonna hear about a level of renunciation of material desires, a level of ecstatic love for Krishna, a level of intense compassion for fallen living entities, a level of attachment to association of devotees, a level of attachment to and taste for devotional practice that is really superlative. No matter where we are, you can always plug in somewhere and see something that's at least a little bit more advanced than you. What to speak of if you read like the, the over the top ecstasies of Mahaprabhu and, and Goralila and the displays there, the highest level of like the Rasa dance, Krishna Lila. Um, we're, we're always being presented practically, individually, 
with opportunities to refine our service and side by side opportunities become satisfied with where we're at. That's actually uh, the essential feature of our, our, our lives is this constant presentation of um, different options. And we're, we're, we're essentially a unit of free will. We don't have the power to affect the change completely. But we have the power to move towards it. As Dr. Mark was mentioning, stopping, to make, stopping the process of making excuses for one's anarthos is a choice. Having those anarthos isn't necessarily a choice because that's a function of our previous karma. But if we stop making excuses and moving towards the processes that we're given, with bhakti, we become empowered to keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. So it's not a black and white thing. It's not like one day you're practicing pure devotional service, the day before you weren't. It can actually be a moment to moment thing. You know, maybe on one day, on one festival for like an hour, you actually like totally plugged in. And that was the high water mark of your service in this life. And that was like in your second year of practice and your, your 30 years of practice in. You can get to that again. You have the option. You can do that. You're not a brahmachari anymore. You're doing this other thing 30 years later. But that internally, that choice is always being given to surrender more and to work on some other thing. And it's very dynamic and it's very alive. That's, that's why bhakti is the way it is. It's not about the form or structure. It's about the relationship and how Krishna is actually inspiring us and giving us opportunities for service more and more and qualifying that service, purifying that service. So we know um, when our guides, gurus, and mentors are, are letting us know that we're, we're doing it more and we're qualified to do it more, we also can feel it. We can feel it on that, on that, you know, um, on that festival day where you decide, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fast and just cut vegetables for a couple hours. And I'm going to think the whole time about Krishna and hear about Krishna. I'm going to do this thing. You actually get a taste. You actually experience that. And that's unmistakable. And that's why we're all here and continue to be here. There's an unmistakable taste that comes from surrendering to God, even if it's mixed. And, the, and the, the more pure it is, the more pure that taste is, and the more delicious it is. So I would say, um, tune into that thread of sincerity and try to try to see what it tastes like to follow it and try to see what it tastes like not to, because that's got a taste too, and it's pretty gross. But by seeing that side by side, as Isha Upanishad says, you'll make advancement. That's what we're doing. That's, that's our whole process. We're continually getting that choice. Is that useful? Okay, we can't hear you, <laughs> but we're out of time anyway. <laughs> so, Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Happy Dwadashi, you have until 10.29 to break your fast, if you haven't already, with some Krishna Prashadam. Haribo. Haribo. Haribo.